Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. I'm Uncle Jim from Trek Talking, although tonight we're doing Stunt Trek, episode number four. I'm Uncle Jim, and with me is Leslie Hoffman, uh, stunt woman extraordinaire. And we're going to spend some time the next hour with you tonight talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, bada bing, bada boom, or bada boom, bada bing. Um, I forgot the exact title, but it's something along those lines. You guys know what I'm talking about. And we're going to share a little bit of behind-the-scenes stories because uh, Leslie sat in on a lot of the production meetings and Star Trek fans aren't privy to those, but Leslie is, and she's going to share some of those stories about what actually goes on behind the scenes and what goes into the making of a Star Trek episode. So that's what we're going to chat about for the next hour. The number here is 646-668-2433. If you have a question for Leslie about of any of the movies or TV shows that she's been in. It doesn't have to be Star Trek. In fact, last week we talked about MASH and Airplane. So any any of Leslie's career that you want to talk about, just give us a call, 646-668-2433. We'll get you live on the air, and you can talk one-on-one with Leslie Hoffman. We'd love to hear from you, 646 668 2433 is our studio line, and we'll be here for the next hour. So give us a call, please. So, Leslie, how you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing fine. Um, still hibernating up north. <laughs> but, oh, uh, I hear you. I hear you. We just had the Serenac Lake Winter Carnival and, and our big ice palace. We're only one of two. Uh, continuous uh, cities that have ice palaces, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and Saranac Lake. That's it. We're the only ones. Well, you guys are way, way up there on the Canadian border, so you get all that cold wind coming down from Canada from the great white north. Right. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it can be, yeah. I mean, we could have a lot of snow, or we could have no snow. We could have 40 below zero, 
and yet in the same week that it's 40 below zero, it could be 40 above zero. We can have an 80-degree shift in a matter of 24 hours. I know. That's, that's, that's strange, very strange. So oh, yeah. uh, before no, the show, we, we were talking a little bit, and I, I brought up, I had mentioned to you that I was in Target over the weekend with my wife, Karen, and um, we were looking at the collectibles. And with the anniversary of Nightmare on Elm Street coming up, I noticed in Target they had a whole rack full of Nightmare on Elm Street Freddy Krueger dolls. And they had a, a one exclusive doll each one of the movies. And then they had a special Jason versus Freddy set that had both Jason and Freddy in the two-pack. But the reason why I mention this to you, Leslie, is because for the first movie, the Nightmare on Elm Street movie, uh, Freddy has interchangeable claws and hands and heads. But one of the heads that you get to put on Freddy Krueger is the hall monitor from the original movie. And uh, why, why is that so special? Why, why would I mention that to you, Leslie? Let, let the fans know why I would bring that up to you. Unfortunately, the head has blonde hair, but that's okay. Why don't you tell the fans that are listening why that's so important? It's it's just so amazing. You can, uh, you know, you could be a star of a movie all the way through it, and no one even remembers the movie. But on Nightmare on Elm Street, I probably was only on screen, or what ended up on screen is. I don't know, 30 seconds a minute long. And it's the scene where Nancy is in the um, classroom and then Tina appears to her in this body bag but then disappears down the hallway. And Nancy comes running out of the classroom and rounds the corner and she runs into the hall monitor and and there's just really a couple lines is is that I fall to the floor and and uh I go, Where's your path? And she goes, Screw your path and then what happens is I'm standing up in the hallway wearing Freddie's claws and I open well, I only Wes Craven was so nice. He he came up to me and he said, I need you to say these lines, but I'm telling you now, your voice is not going to be in the movie. We're going to have the actor dub his voice, but I need you, you know, I need you to mouth the words or say the words and, you know, anyways. So it's, you know, hey, Nancy, no running in the hallway, he, he, he. And uh, for some reason, just that, well, you say, I don't even know if it's a minute long. Um, uh, people, well, especially children, when when Robert Englund's voice came out of my mouth, it it scared them to death. I mean, they they did have nightmares from that scene. So that's that's why that character is memorable. And even now the other thing is that, you know, they did do a remake of the whole nightmare on Elm street and they didn't add in the hall monitor in the new movie. So that's it. 
I am the hall monitor. <laughs> there is no other person that's ever been this hall monitor. And now you're an action figure, so that is pretty cool. Oh, it is. I mean, I <laughs> uh, my my friends have been on uh, Star Trek playing cards. I mean, pictures of of Dennis Madelone or Tom Morga, and and I never made it onto a Star Trek playing card. And and I always hoped that someday maybe there'd be an action figure of of the hall monitor. So what you're telling me is is making me extremely happy. I got I got to check this out. See see what this is. I mean I I. It's so amazing. Well, I, what is it? Let's see, 84, so uh, what are we up to? 84 is this, 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 I can't even do the math anymore. Uh, so 84 to 94, 2004, so 30, 2014, 30, 35, 30, 35 years? Yeah, 30, yeah, so this is the 35th anniversary of me being the whole... And little did this was a low, low, low budget film. I mean, there was no money put into this. The original Star of uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. So, you know, you, you work on a movie that might have a really big budget, and it's in the theater for one week and it disappears, or or you could be on this extremely low budget movie. That has become an an absolute iconic classic horror movie. I mean, yeah, when I, when the I only go thing to... is they they made the head with blonde hair, and in the movie you had black yeah. hair, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a brunette. That 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 actually that is my natural hair in in that scene, and in fact, my hair is that long again. Um, I have those those ponytails that are coming out of the side of my head in that scene. That is my hair. That that's not a wig. That's my hair. So Leslie, since we're talking a little bit about um, Nightmare on Elm Street, why don't we uh, finish this segment, this first segment up um, on Nightmare on Elm Street? Um, what? So in that particular scene, did you act? Did they actually make you up as as Freddy when when his voice came out of your mouth? I, I don't remember. Oh yeah, I was wearing, well when when you say did I mean my face didn't have pot marks or, or anything on it, and in fact it was really strange they put streaks of blood on my face which I never understood that. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was that. Maybe I was scratching my face with, <laughs> with the claws. I didn't understand that um, because it wasn't from Nancy running into me, you know. So, anyways, um, no. The the whole scene, I was wearing the striped sweater, and the, the best trivia question about Nightmare on Elm Street is uh, in the original movie, both. Robert Anglin, Freddie, and I had the the same sweaters, and the body of the sweater is striped, but the sleeves are solid red. Um, 
I was showing Kane Hodder uh, a picture of, it, it. you know, it was a screen capture or picture of Nightmare on Elm Street, and he and he says to me, where did you where did you fake this picture? I go, what do you mean fake this picture? This is from the movie. He goes, no, it's not. I go, yes, it is. He says, no, it's not. You look at the slaves; they're solid red. And <laughs> so I went back and I looked at the movie, and sure enough, um, in the original movie, our our sweaters had solid red sleeves. But every movie after that, they, they, you know, I guess they went to buy more sweaters and they couldn't find that particular sweater anymore. So after the first, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, now the sweater had stripes down, going down the sleeves. So and, and <laughs> your, um, your action figure that I saw actually has red sleeves. And if you look at the other action figures from the other movies, they have striped sleeves. So your action figure is the only one with red sleeves. Oh, I say I got. I'm going to have to check this out after the show. I mean, and, yeah, and yeah, for, I'm really. For, for those oh, of well, you who don't know, say, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say is that I was. Uh, well, I was looking at eBay, and someone had made a Lego Freddy Krueger. And what I did is I bought a bunch of the Lego Freddy Kruegers, and I found um, a different Lego head and a Lego ponytail that came on each side. Uh, so I made a mini-me. <laughs> I made my own action figure. And but, and, uh, but what I was going to say, because you're talking about hair, <laughs> is that I think the I think the wig was it's really strange. I think it was gray or something. So what I did is I took um, a magic marker, a brown magic marker, <laughs> and I colored the hair brown. So like you say, I have a mini me. Maybe I should post uh, the picture on the uh, Facebook page. Yeah, I I, I definitely would. And uh, for those of you who aren't aware of this, uh, Kane Hodder is famous for playing another bad guy in another movie. That's Friday the 13th. Kane Hodder played Jason Voorhees, I think, in three of the movies? At least two. Oh, I think I think more than three of the movies. He, he basically became the one and only. I mean... Uh, Yes, there were other people before Kane got the job, but but uh, once Kane got the job, I I I think he's continuously played it now. But but yeah, he's I was, been, I was um... quite surprised that Kane was was trying to tell me that I faked the picture. <laughs> and if you guys want to see what Leslie looks like from the Nightmare on Elm Street movie, uh, you can go to our to our Facebook page, the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization. That's the official fan club of Leslie Hoffman. Go to that Facebook page, and you'll see a picture of Leslie from Nightmare on Elm Street, and you can see for yourself that the sleeves are indeed red, and, and you can also get a picture 
uh, signed by Leslie of that shot if you're interested. So go to the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page and check that out. And make sure you sign up to be a fan, too. That way you never miss any of the exciting stuff that's going on. And if you want to ask Leslie a question, she'll answer you in person, which is pretty cool. How many how many pages can you go to on Facebook and, and ask a question about Airplane or MASH or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and get an answer right back from the actual person? Not some representative, not, not somebody behind the desk, but the one and only Leslie Hoffman. So that's pretty cool. You should definitely check that out. <laughs> right, Leslie? Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. Yes. Yes. I when I'm awake, when I don't fall asleep before the show or during the show <laughs> I I check Facebook constantly and, and if I see that there's a post I, I'll I'll answer it as quick as possible. So before we move away from Nightmare on Elm Street, I just I wasn't planning on talking about Nightmare, but when I saw the doll I had to mention it to you. Is there anything else that you could tell the, the fans about what that first movie was like before we move on to Star Trek? Uh, Any memories or anything you want to share? Well, it was an abandoned school. That was the location, and I drove to it, and I walked on to, or you know, into the school onto the set, and there was a slime trail going down the middle of the hallway. Now you, now I was not given a script before. Um, I worked. I was hired by the stunt coordinator. I was not, you know, I was. I didn't get interviewed or auditioned or whatever. So, so I had no idea what I was walking into. Like that, walking to the school and there's this just slime trail down the middle of the hallway. But you know, now now that the movie shot, I I know what it's all about. Um, let's see. The other thing was. Um, well, at the convention, Robert Englund was telling uh, the story about, like I say, he he dubbed his voice in, and he tells the story that um, he was actually in New York City, and they took him up to, like, this ancient sound room uh, so they could record his voice, and, and uh, the headpieces, he said they were made out of leather. You know, nowadays it's plastic and foam rubber and whatever, but these were like leather headsets that he was wearing. And and so 3,000 miles away, he dubbed in that famous line, you know, hey, Nancy, no running in the hallway. <laughs> that That's a pretty cool. I like that. So uh, we're going to take a quick station identification break and uh, when we come back we're going to talk about star trek deep space nine don't touch that dial hi this is eric from trek talking here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction themed podcast on the internet our elite team of trexperts are here to discuss star trek and related sci-fi content and we want to hear from you call into the show thursday nights from 7 30 to 9 30 p.m on the east coast and we'll get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith that you'll call. And we're back. Welcome to Stunt Trek, episode number four. I'm Uncle Jim, and with me is Leslie Hoffman, stunt woman extraordinaire. And we're going to talk about Star Trek 
Deep Space Nine. So, Leslie, um, a, a lot, you know, Star Trek fans pretty much know Star Trek from the front of the camera, but you know Star Trek from behind the camera. And I think a lot of Star Trek fans uh, would be interested in knowing exactly what goes on behind the scenes and what goes into making an episode of Star Trek, or more in particular, say an episode that you've been in, and when you sit in on a meeting, what kind of things are talked about and decided. In this particular case, we're talking about Bada Bing Bada Boom um, from Deep Space Nine. So why don't you share with the fans a little bit of what happens, what goes into making an episode of Star Trek? Well, what happens is, now in this case, I do get a script first because um, I have to break it down. Well, when I say I, Dennis gets a script, and either he breaks it down or one of the assistant stunt coordinators reads through the script and finds the sections that are stunt-related and will, will, well, you fold over the page, you know, so, so then Dennis can look at it and decide, um, you know, whether how many stunt people he might need, whether there needs to be a high fall pad or, or you know, a certain special um, device needed to perform the stunt. Uh, and once you have that all put together, you go to a production meeting. And there was this, I'm not sure how to explain this, is that, you know, long thin tables, but but it made a, a square. In other words, there were long thin tables. <laughs> Instead of a round table, <laughs> it was a square, and the different department heads would be. You would you would have the producers at the front table. The production manager was off to the. I'll call it the left hand side and and he would read the script out loud and and then everybody in well you would go through a scene and then everyone would would say what they would need you know whether it was uh CGI uh okay we need five ships flying through the air how much is this going to cost and you go around the table and and you tell them like what you would need well for the, for that episode um and and actually well quick correction here the name of the show is bada bing bada bang that's it's sort of a that's it yep yeah i mean it's it's it would be like an italian gangster would go bada bing bada bang you know which was kind of funny because when the production manager was reading the the title of the script, I guess he had never heard anyone say that before. So he's going, Buddha bang bada. <laughs> he couldn't even say it. But uh, anyways, uh, so so I I came into the meeting and I sit between. My, Everyone has their normal seat. I mean, it doesn't like, you know, you just run and grab whatever seat you wanted. There, There's a specific seat for each department. And stunts 
sat between costumers and and props. And I come in, and costume and props are already there, and they're discussing something, saying, well, it really is a costume. And the costumer is saying, well, but no, because they're never wearing it, so it really is a prop. And and I'm wondering what these people are talking about. And I finally ask them, and they go, well, we need a coonskin cap, but no one's wearing it, you know, and, and we don't know where to find one. You know, uh, maybe we could go to Western Costume. I don't know, you know. And and the thing is, I actually own a real, a genuine coonskin cap. Uh, being from the North Country, um, there's a store about three hours west of me, but I had a friend who lived, uh, it, it's a small town called Krogan, and the Krogan General Store would get roadkill raccoons and make coonskin caps and sell it in their general store. And I just thought it was so neat that I actually bought one and had one. So when, what you know, when I told props and, and costumes that I had this coonskin cap, they're going, oh, please, can we borrow it? <laughs> you know, or, well, I, I doubt they said it that way, but they did ask if they could borrow it for the episode. And which which I was more than willing to do, you know. I just wanted to make sure I was going to get it back. But um, that coonskin cap uh, is in the uh, I guess they would call it the teaser part, the beginning of the episode, where Miles O'Brien is um, asking Vic Fontaine. Or um, I'm sorry, I'm off in the wrong direction already. Miles O'Brien is asking Julian um, Bashir um, to to go to the holodeck and do a re- reenactment. Oh wait, boy, I'm really doing good at the moment. No, it was it was James um, or Vic, um, you know, to go to the Alamo and and be part of the reenactment. And and so my coonskin cap had more airtime than I did in the episode. I actually appear in the episode as well. But, but not uh, in a coonskin cap, though. <laughs> what's that? But you weren't wearing a coonskin cap, though. No, no. My Actually, I was in a 1950s... Um, waist dress with high heels and heavy 1950 makeup it was <laughs> it was pretty funny to be dressed that way but but um, well going back to the coonskin cap is you know i made i made a promise to myself when i was working on the set that i was going to be a real professional and i wasn't going to ask a star, you know, for a favor, like, oh, can you take a picture with me? Or, oh, can you, you know, can you give me an autograph or something like that? And I really, really regret that I didn't have Colmini and uh, James Darren sign the inside of the coonskin cap 
I mean, that really would have been neat if I had gotten the gotten them to do it. But but again, I just I it it's my own being that I just could not do that. Could not ask them to do that for me. But I do have the coonskin cap. <laughs> so, so Leslie, when uh, when they're at a, a meeting about an episode, for instance, is that a common thing? They just they just run down to to the corner store and and grab up a bunch of stuff for props, or do they actually do they make them for each episode as needed? Um. Uh, like, like I say, in this case, it was such a specific thing that they needed. Um, you know, they 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 do have a prop department and and a warehouse, but but a lot of times, um, if they had to uh, decorate the set or something, and and you know, you had to have space age forks or whatever. You 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 know, they had a budget to go out and and either buy something uh, from a store and kind of turn it into the space age looking by painting it gray and speckling it or something like that, or um, or or they had to build it. Uh, in in one of the in Purgatory's light when um Worf is uh fighting the Jemadars, the circle that they were fighting within, there's these little I don't know what to call it, like caps that are on top of the ring of the circle and those are actually tomato plant holders upside down and and just painted gray. So, wow. so the most <laughs> Yeah, I mean the most space age thing is is just so common. Well, like like in the original Star Trek, you know, some of the glasses that they drank out of were actually bud bases. Because they just looked futuristic. But they really were bug bases. Yeah, when um, when they had the original Star Trek tour and they had the Enterprise down at the Smithsonian Institute um, and they had a, uh, an exhibit for Star Trek that was touring around the country, we went down to the Smithsonian Institute to see the original Star Trek set. And I was totally blown away when I found out that the episode Alanis of Troyes, Alan of Troyes, um, she was wearing plastic placemats that were stapled together, and her guards were wearing right. red placemats that were cut to look like flames that were all stapled together. But, you know, when you watch the episodes, it looks really good, but when you, and when you see it in person, you're like, that's just a plastic placemat. Yeah, like the, the belts on the Klingons were bubble wrap, large bubble wrap. You know those bumps that you would see on the belt buckle. Yes, the 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 stuff that they used uh, were just, were just like um, scanner that Doctor McCoy used was just a salt shaker spray painted. 
Oh, yeah. But, yeah. That's, that's what I mean you know, is that uh, they just take the most common thing and and just, uh, like I say, they they modify it, they paint it, maybe add a, ta- or glue a few things to it, and and, uh, and there you have it. So um, it's very interesting when fans try to cre- recreate something and they go way beyond what what the company did to make, you know, a sash or a, or a um, well, like I say, at a convention, this guy comes in and he had a bat lift made out of uh, stainless steel. <laughs> and he hands, he gives it to me or he, or he puts it on the table, points heading towards me, and it's like, well, <laughs> I'm not used to a stainless steel bat lift. I'm used to to a rubber one. Yeah, mine mine is rubber. The one that I have is rubber. You know what yeah, it is, though, well, Leslie. It's it's amazing because when you when you watch uh, Star Trek and you're you're watching Doctor McCoy and he pulls out his tricorder and he scans someone and he says he's dead, Jim, and you completely <laughs> buy the whole thing. You you buy into it, hook, line, and sinker. You know, you got the actors there, you got the sound effects, you got the Star Trek music in the background, you got Spock there, and you hear the doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, and you got McCoy saying, he's dead, Jim. And your eye just, you don't look at it and, and say, that's a salt shaker. Your mind just believes that what you're seeing is what you're seeing instead of, that's a salt shaker. You know, every uh, everything in the scene works together to fool your mind into believing that McCoy actually has a tricorder sensor when in reality it's a salt shaker. Right. Well, that's it is before I became a stunt woman and I was watching original Star Trek, I mean, exactly is that uh, I, I just, I enjoyed the episodes. It's, it's actually, well, I still enjoy Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. You know, I, I still enjoy them. But like I say, the, the problem for me now is that if I see a stunt man or stunt woman in the scene, um, I go, oh, there's Tom or there's Dennis. I guess in the next scene, someone's going to get killed, you know. I bet they're going to be dead by the next scene. And sure enough, they, so 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 my brain gets interrupted while I'm watching episodes if I recognize a person in it or a stunt person in it. So, Leslie, when you're watching, seeing how you were on Voyager and Deep Space Nine, when you watch an episode like that, are you able to just watch it and enjoy it like a fan, or does your your mind you're seeing things in the film and you know that that's a salt and pepper shaker and that's Bob from down the hallway and you know that stunt was done wrong or or, or I know how they did that, or are you able to just sit back and enjoy it like say like I would? Well, <laughs> I'll I'll use a strange word. I'll call it that I watch an episode as a hybrid is that uh, in Next Generation when Data is choking the Borg 
when the Borgs first arrive and end up on the Enterprise and Data gets really angry and he starts choking the Borg. Uh, that's actually Brian William, stuntman, and Tom Morgan, the Borg. And when he throws Tom against the wall, part of the wall falls off. And I saw that. Now, I don't know if a fan necessarily saw that, but I saw the piece fall down. So, so it, like I say, it, it interrupts my train of thought of watching the episode as opposed to watching, wait a minute, the ship just broke. <laughs> or or Tom is getting choked and, and he sticks out his pink tongue. It's like, Borgs have pink tongues? <laughs> you know, just here, here his face is that gray color, except that he, as he's being choked, he's sticking out his tongue and, but uh, no, I well, I say is that I can can watch an episode, but then I also see when something wrong has happened. Um, like I think I I don't know if I did it on this show or what interview, but uh, the episode "The Valiant" when Dennis was blown out of the chair, this thing comes popping, bouncing across the floor, and I and I catch it. I mean, my eyes catch it, and it it was it was his phaser when he went over backwards in the chair. The phaser came out off of his costume, and it's made out of rubber, so it's bouncing. And I can see that, but again, I don't know if anyone else um, sees things like that. Well, I, I noticed um, there's an episode of Star Trek called the Galileo 7 where they're, they're trapped on a planet and there's these giant hairy dudes that are throwing huge spears at the crew. Right. And there's one scene where Spock is behind this rock and the giant hairy dude throws um, uh, the Tau Seti creatures. I, I forgot what they were called. But anyways, uh, the giant hairy, this huge 10-foot spear at Mr. Spock, and it misses him, of course, and it hits the rock that Mr. Spock is hiding behind. If you pay attention, if you watch, you'll see that the rock is actually styrofoam. And when the giant spear oh, yeah, hits that's... the rock, you, you will see a piece of the rock. If, if, you, if you watch, you'll see a piece of the rock fly right off, and Spock immediately picks up the spear and throws it back. So you're so busy watching everything else, you might not notice it, but a piece of the rock breaks right off right right in the scene um so if you look you can see stuff like that but yeah so yeah. it does it or, does or, happen yeah or or you know you talk about rocks it's like uh uh where no man has gone before when when uh gary said i'm not <laughs> i'm mixing the names is that you know when when um Gary's eyes go back to to a normal color, but and Kirk has this rock that he has above his head. If if you if that was really a rock, there's no way in the world Kirk could pick that rock up above his head. No, no. Well, we're gonna take no, a that, quick like station identification break right now. Uh, don't touch your dial. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with Leslie Hoffman, and we're going to continue our Star Trek conversation, stunts and mistakes that happen on the set. 
Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this. This is Chris from Trek Talking and Beyond, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and other sci-fi-related content, and we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433 on Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on East Coast Time. Hailing frequencies are always open, and we'll get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith. You will call. And we're back. Stunt Trek episode four. I'm Uncle Jim, and with me is stunt woman extraordinaire Leslie Hoffman. And we're talking about Star Trek uh, at Deep Space Nine. But right now we're talking about uh, TOS and some of the mistakes that happen on film that a lot of people don't catch, but you have a sharp eye, you might. So, Leslie, um, when you worked on Deep Space Nine, you were Bolana Torres' uh, stunt double, uh, Roxanne Biggs Dawson's stunt double. Um, Voyager. Did, did, Voyager, I'm sorry, Voyager. Did you um, ever notice mistakes like that happening that, that slipped by the editing room? Yeah. In fact, in fact, my hand is that on... Um, blood fever when she had palm tar uh, you know they were intercutting the fight with with me and the stunt double for um, I think that was the Vulcan um, and then and then the actual actor and and Roxanne would be in there and if you watch very closely there is a scene where you're going to see this hand come into the picture and and kind of safety her back that she you know that she's not going to fall over she's being pushed backwards and I'm so embarrassed that I you know I didn't think I'd put my hand out that far that it got caught on camera but boy if you run that like frame by frame or real slow motion you're going to see this hand that doesn't belong to anybody and it's mine. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't feel bad, Leslie. It happens. <laughs> yeah. I uh yeah. Well, I, say, I noticed again, a, you know you, <laughs> you, you and, uh, watch an episode like that, you know, you know what you did and now you're watching the episode, you're watching the finished product. And like I say, you're seeing the fight that you're in, and all of a sudden it cuts to her, and my God, here's this hand! Oh my God, it's my hand! <laughs> you know, and, and uh. was it that that they had to use the scene? You know, did you gotta wonder? Did the editor see that that my hand was coming into the frame, and yet they had, you know, they had no other cuts that they could use, so they had to use it. Or or did they totally miss that my hand came into the frame? You never you never you know, know I'll, I'll, really do you? But I'd like to get back to uh, bada bing bada bang. Is that uh, you know so so people think stunt coordinators probably just deal with stunt people or stunt people and actors, but but when you're a stunt coordinator on the set, you're also watching out for the crew as well. And in Bada Bing Bada Bang, 
Uh, there was a point where Cisco throws money up in the air to cause confusion. You know, everyone starts diving for the money, and that's actually the shop that I'm in, is I'm one of the people diving for the money, along with uh, Linda Madelone, Dennis's wife. So there's like this really quick shot of the two of us together picking money up off the floor. But anyways, we're on the set, and the way they made the money float down was there was a special effects man named RJ on an A-frame ladder with a pizza paddle with money, the paper money on top of the pizza paddle, and he would shake it, which would allow the money to kind of spread out and float down in the room because actually if Cisco were to throw a wad of money straight up in the air, it would it would come straight down, and that isn't the effect that they wanted. They wanted the money to be floating around the room. Anyways, we're in between scenes, and I'm standing there just looking at the set, and they're moving the camera, and it's on a camera crane or dolly, and they're backing it up, and they back it up into the A-frame ladder that RJ is standing on, like say one hand on the ladder, one hand holding the pizza paddle, and the I can see the ladder is being tipped over, it's being pushed and tipping over, and RJ is holding on for dear life, and me in this 1950s dress and these high heels, I just ran to the ladder and and just put my whole weight, you know, I put my hands on each side of the A-frame ladder and just, you know, pushed against the ladder in the other direction. You know, I'm, I'm not that I went over a, a camera crane, but but just to, to stop this ladder from going over, and I guess people saw what I did and they realized what was going on and they pulled the dolly away and helped me straighten the ladder. And actually, RJ never even fell off the ladder. So... Um, I mean that that could have been a really horrific accident because uh, that that wasn't just like a five foot ladder that was like a ten fifteen foot ladder he he would have had a major fall if he had gone off that ladder so um, like I say just those few seconds that I was bracing the ladder up other people realized and came in and and grabbed the ladder as well and plus they pulled the the dolly away. Uh, we we finished the day, and the next day, Tom Morgan and I are walking down uh, the street behind the soundstage, and Gary Monak, who's the head of the special effects department, and RJ come by in a golf cart, and they stop to say hi to Tom and I, and RJ and announces to Gary, she's my hero. You know, or she saved my life. She's my hero, and I, I kid you not, he, that is exactly what he said, which, which made me feel good. I mean, that that's what I was hired to do, but but it made me feel good to know that uh, that I was appreciated, or I did a good job. Well, you are appreciated, and we have a Facebook page to prove it: the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization. Uh, the official fan club of Leslie Hoffman. You guys can go there on Facebook, check it out, 
leave a message for Leslie, and she'll get right back to you. And you can also get a really nice autographed picture of Leslie as the hall monitor from Nightmare on Elm Street or as um, a Cardassian or a Klingon um, or, or whatever. Leslie's pretty much done it all. So back to uh, Deep Space Nine. So when you're in the production meeting and you're all sitting around the table and they say, we want some money to fall off of, you know, we're going to have Cisco throw some money and it's going to float to the ground or however, however they bring that up. So then at that point, you decide you're going to get a, a, a pizza paddle and wiggle it and, that's, and have someone on a ladder to make it fall or how did that actually come about? Well, exactly what, again, you've got to realize each department stays within their department. So I don't remember it really being discussed at the production meeting that, you know, oh, we need to get an A. You know, they have A-frame ladders at Paramount. So it wasn't like they have to go rent one or I don't know if they had the pizza paddle already. But, you know, I'm sure Gary Monak, when he read the script, said, okay, this is the way we're going to do it. Um, Again, I don't think he had to say it at the production meeting, but, you know, the day on the set, he had the A-frame ladder there and RJ and and the pizza paddle and and the paper money. Now, that's an interesting thought because, see, like I say, each department is basically themselves, but you got to be careful that or there is an overlap that if I had to guess, the paper money would have been the prop department. I mean, I don't think Gary Monack could, let's say, go out and purchase the paper money. The prop department, that would be their budget. Um, you know, actually, well, now you have me thinking about that. It's like I had to safety young Molly, Hannah, on um, Deep Space Nine, and we were up on the edge of this cliff. And, and I mean, basically there was only room for Molly and myself or Hannah, depending on if you want to use the actress's name or the character's name. And it was like hairdressing, or they wanted her hair to be combed down or, or kind of pushed down again or, you know, that it was smooth again and and they asked me if I could do the combing but it was the hair department that basically gave their blessing that I could hold a brush in my hand and brush her hair I mean technically speaking I cannot be brushing her hair I cannot be the hair department I mean unions Different unions would get very upset about this, but but in this case, because we were out on this ledge, there just wasn't any room for for the hairdresser to to come out and smooth their hair down. So sometimes it's very strange. Well, you work together. You work you work as a team. The, the, the famous there is no I in team. So as long as it's okayed by the let's in this case the hair department um 
I was allowed to brush her hair. But if I had just taken it upon myself to smooth her hair out without getting an okay from the hair department, believe me, I would have been read the riot act. So, Leslie, let's just, let's use that scene. So you're standing up on a ledge, just, just the two of you, and her hair is a mess. So they're going to stop. Actually, they're going to pull you. They're going to pull you down off the ledge. Put a, a hair person up there from the hair department to to brush her hair. Then they're going to pull her down, put you back up there, and then start filming again. Is that what they normally would do? That would have been. The absolute proper procedure was actually Molly and I were laying down on the ledge. You you really couldn't stand on the ledge, um, not not due to weight. It's just how we were. You know, she was laying down, I was laying down, holding on to her. You know, so she wouldn't fall off the cliff. Um, but. If you think about the time involved, you know, time is money, or, yeah, time is money, is that, can you imagine how much time it would have been and the danger that Molly would have been put into, or Hannah, if I had to let go of her, back down off of the cliff to allow the hair department to come up to brush her hair, to back down off the cliff, to allow me to come back on the cliff to to safety her. I mean, she wouldn't she would not have been safetyed if I had to leave the cliff. And you don't put a child in that kind of danger. So I think, you know, all all said and done, that's why the hair department. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's been so long ago now. I'm trying to remember if the director or the production manager, you know, asked the hair department if it was okay if Leslie could brush Hannah's hair. And, you know, once everyone approved that, yes, Leslie could brush her hair, um, then I was able to do it. You know, then they handed me a brush, and and I think maybe the hairdresser said, okay, you know, Coleman – brush it this way or, you know, do this or you need to get it this way. But, uh, I mean, part of filming is common sense also. I mean, you're not going to put a child in danger. You're not going to waste 20 minutes, 40 minutes just to brush the, the child's hair down. And and so, I mean, some, you've got to make decisions right on the spot. I mean, you know, you, you talk about production meetings, but until sometimes until the day of filming, um, things change. Wow. Well, on that yeah. note, Leslie, yeah. guess what? Stunt Treks number uh, four no. has, has <laughs> come to an end. Can you believe we've already done four episodes? Wow, I... Yeah, I feel like, believe me, you're you're the professional at these podcasts. Um, I mean, I I think I was late the first time, then I fell asleep the second time. I I think I'm finally getting it. It took me the third episode to finally <laughs> get this done, and I'm 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 really happy with with the 
these podcasts now. I'm enjoying this. Well, I have another one tomorrow. Tomorrow is Comic Corner number 11, and and, uh, J.K. Wooder is going to be on live with us uh, to talk about his new Star Trek comic book, 2020, IDW's 20th anniversary. It's a Picard story on the Stargazer, how he introduces Beverly Howard to Jack Crusher, and we're going to have J.K. on. He's the artist that did the cover and the artwork in the comic, and he's going to be on tomorrow with us to talk about that from 7.30 to 8.30. And then, of course, Thursday night, I have Trek talking from 7.30 to 9.30. We're going to be talking about the episode of Star Trek Discovery that just aired that was on last week because we're on Thursday night, the same night as Discovery, so we're a week behind. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of podcasts. I'm, I'm busy. But I'm always glad, I'm always happy to spend some time with you, Leslie, on uh, Sundays to talk about stunt treks. And we'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel with Leslie Hoffman, stunt woman extraordinaire. And uh, we'll have some more behind-the-scenes stories to talk with you about. Uh, so make sure you, you uh, come back next week. Make sure you go and check out the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page and become a member. Leslie would love to have you. And uh, don't be shy. Look Leslie up and uh, ask her any question about any one of the plethora of 70s TV shows that, uh, and movies that she's been in, and she'll be more than happy to answer you. So with that, i got to wrap it up, Leslie, so we don't go overboard here for Ross. So good night. Oh, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And, and uh, we'll be back, back next week. So many wonderful memories. And we'll have. And what do we want to talk about next week? Any idea yet? I don't know. Um, I'll have to. Uh, uh, maybe maybe we should continue with the uh, Times Orphan uh, episode. That that was where Molly was on the cliff. So so maybe maybe we'll talk about Times Orphan next week. Okay, next week we'll be back with Leslie Hoffman, and we'll be talking about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Time's orphan. Until then, stay safe, stay warm, and be good to each other. Have a good night. Good night, Leslie. Bye. Good night, Jim. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.